Thanks for joining me in this episode of What the Actual F. As usual, hi, my name is Harmony and I'm your host. If my voice sounds a little bit strange and funky, sorry about that, I am sick. In fact, I also got my seven-year-old sick as well, so he's currently staying home today instead of being at school. But with this sickness still going around the house, it doesn't stop me from doing my job and bringing you guys the content that you come here every week to absorb. And you know, because I don't feel so great and I am stuck in bed, I wanted to give you guys a really good episode. Many of you know that what I do here is tell you some of the darkest shit that I can find. And let's be honest, our world is really, really fucked up. Recently, I found a TikTok that I shared all over my social media about what happens in our society when it comes to women. Many, many, many people have a fear of sharks. And yes, I said sharks not sharks. Yeah, I know a lot of people are probably afraid of that fart that might turn into a little bit of Hershey squirts, but mainly most people are afraid of sharks, as in dunna, 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 you know, those things in the water that are terrifying. But your chances of being attacked by a shark are actually quite minimal, even for those of you that live in Florida, (laughs) like I do. You have about a one in five million chance of being attacked by a shark. However, This fear is completely rational in our society. But when you hear a woman talk about the fact that she sometimes fears going outside or she's afraid to just go out in the world, you often look at her as a pariah, like, you know, how dare you? What are you saying? Why are you so afraid to be out in the world around your peers? I'll tell you why. Because one in six women are attacked and raped or assaulted. And who are our attackers? Men. Now we all know (laughs) it's not all men, but it's some of them. But it is unfortunately all women. So why am I bringing this up? Why am I sharing this with you? Because it leads me into what we are talking about today. I myself am a victim of being sexually assaulted. And currently one of my assailants is walking the streets freely in the very town that I live in nonetheless. This isn't because I didn't go to the authorities. I absolutely did. I went to the authorities, did everything I needed, went to the hospital, had a kit done, did everything. However, COVID hit, quarantine happened, and my case came to a standstill. And of course, with statute of limitations, when everything came back, guess what happened? Nothing. So it is a very, very common thing in our society. When people speak up, nothing happens, which leaves a lot of women afraid to speak. And yes, men are victims of sexual assault as well. This is undeniably true. No matter your gender, no matter who you are, you are always at risk of being sexually assaulted. And I hate to put it like that, but that is the truth. Deny it all you'd like, but this is our reality. We live in a very, very fucked up world. At this point, you're probably like, okay, Harmony, what the fuck does this have to do with today's story? Like, come on, seriously. You're almost five minutes into this and you haven't even shared the topic. Well, let me go ahead and share that then. 
In 2001, Keith Rainier was sentenced to 120 years in prison for his role in a cult-like group called Nexium. In this little group, there was a harem of women that were considered sexual slaves. And they were even branded with his initials on their pelvises and coerced into doing all sorts of sexual acts and taking sexual photos and doing whatever he asked. These women were taught to revere him and were ordered to maintain near starvation diets, all in order to keep the physique that he found so desirable. One of the victims was even a 15 year old. Another person who in the beginning may have been some sort of a victim, but soon became one of the higher ups and became a villain of her own, was in fact an actress by the name of Alison Mack. She had a starring role in the show Smallville, but she would end up pleading guilty to racketeering and conspiracy charges for her role in Nexium. The case I have for you today is all about Nexium. This is a sex cult in a sense that was founded by Keith Rainier, a man who is very, very fucked up. If you are triggered by the talk of sexual assault and rape and sex crimes, this episode is not for you. Believe me, I understand if you click off now and go find something else or maybe another episode of What the Actual F. This episode will probably be one of my longer ones as well, as I have been researching Nexium and Keith Rainier for some time now. And I'd like to give you all that I can when it comes to this case. Because if there's one thing we truly need to do in this world today is bring awareness to sex crimes and the real danger that is out there. Okay, I'm taking some time now, so let me go ahead and introduce what we're talking about today. Before I do, let me say that I did just say that 2001 is when Keith was arrested and sentenced. This isn't true. It's 2021. Sorry about that. My mind and my memory and my mouth don't always go along very well. But let's go ahead and jump into today's topic. Today I'm going to tell you all about Nexium and Keith and his evil, wicked, wicked ways. understood the world and if we understood ourselves that's worth everything ESP Nexium is a methodology that allows people to optimize their behavior Nexium is the umbrella company Keith was the founder he was a legend our main belief is to have people experience more joy in their lives it's a worldwide organization when conventional solutions don't work maybe the unconventional way of thinking does I was looking around at all these people that just didn't seem joyful. I started to get concerned. There's a secret organization in Nixium. They sign a lifetime vow of obedience and they're branding girls. And they're trying to recruit other women to do this. 
I'm so strong. Like, you'd never be able to do what I just did. I always want to earn my authority. There's a lot of things about the organization. It's just not right. Our commitment is our power. You stay. There's no good way to leave. Ever. I have to expose what's going on. This has to be stopped. There are a group of people who are going to the press. We are filing criminal charges. You're branding my wife. Everybody is a blend of good and bad. We're playing some sort of game. Chances are I'm going to win. Nobody joins a cult. They join a good thing. Now, before I can tell you about Nexium and the fact that it actually sounds like a great fucking thing, believe me, when we dive into what Nexium comes off as, you're going to agree. But then when we peel the curtain back and we look behind, we're going to realize it's just not all it's hyped up to be. But before we can dive into Nexium and all of its dark, dark nature, we need to talk about Mr. Keith, the man of the hour. The Deviant, in fact. This man is a real piece of shit. I know I have said this about many people in my podcast, but let's face it, <laughs> there's a lot of pieces of shit around the world. In fact, I'm not trying to be a bitch, but I'm sure some of you out there are. <laughs> I've been one, so yeah, okay. But Keith Renair takes the cake. The thing about doing bad things in life is you often realize, oh shit, I made a mistake. What do many people do? Well, we do become the villain in someone's story because of what made us learn this lesson. However, <laughs> that's not how it goes for Mr. Rainier here. What happens when you are a bad person to the core? What happens when you don't want to fix your evil and mischievous ways? Well, you turn in to Keith Rainier. I mean, it kind of leads me to my next question, which has to do with authenticity. Because mm -hmm. then it seems more like the creativity comes from a place of just originality or authentic, like soulfulness, mm -hmm. if you're looking at it in a positive mm -hmm. light. You know, authenticity and creativity are an interesting match. We don't like to think of ourselves as, as robots. Mm -hmm. And if you are coming off as robotic, most people say that's somehow inauthentic. There has to be an inauthenticity to that mm -hmm. because we're not robots. So what does it mean to be authentic? When someone's authentic, you feel them. You have this, this feeling of a soul there. Right. Not a ro robot, not some pre-programmed, um, contrived face or something along those lines. It just seems to come naturally from their experience of existing on this planet. From the time they are conceived and they become a, a child and grow and all of this thing. They gather this unique impression of existence. And authenticity somehow is a, a manifestation of all of that. <clears throat> and it also relates to wisdom. I, you know, I always say wisdom is taking your life experience and being able to apply it in a decision. That is Keith who, as you could hear, was being interviewed by none other than Allison Mack, which we will get to her a little bit later. But I wanted you to hear a little bit of Keith and his, his premise and how he comes off to the world. Because initially, Keith comes off as this very, very smart and intelligent man. And in fact, he has all this stuff to back up his geniusness that he was, or so he came off as. But what I'm going to share with you is the real Keith, the man behind Vanguard. 
Yeah. Keith went by Vanguard because he was the leader of Nexium. But don't worry, we'll get into that as well. Let's dive in to Keith and his life before we really begin. Buckle up, big boy, or or big gals, or wait, uh, small people, average size human. You know what? Uh, just sit back, guys, because this this story is I, I've messed up, didn't I? Okay, well, we're gonna start now. Key, love you. They get a quick primer on what happens if they speak one word sideways, mm -hmm. and people. There's, if you believe it, maybe people die, maybe people are hurt, maybe economies change or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, you become a E.F. Hutton. Right. If you say your own opinion, mm -hmm. you can destroy people's lives. Mr. Keith Rainier was born on August 26th in 1960 to his father James Rainier, a New York advertising executive and to his wife, Vera Ashipiko. She was a ballroom dancing instructor. Rainier's father recalls that Vera drank more than she should have. Also, in his adulthood, Keith would privately describe that his mother was, quote, an alcoholic. When Keith Rainier was five, he and his family decided to relocate from Brooklyn to Suffern, New York. When he was around eight years old, his parents decided, you know what, I think it's best we just go ahead and separate. We go our separate ways, okay? All right. And they did just that. Keith would then attend Suffern High School for ninth grade before he transferred to Rockland Country Day School in Congers. He would graduate in June of 1978, two months prior to his 18th birthday, in fact. As an adult, Keith would go on to claim that he read Isaac Osmanoff's mind control theme work Second Foundation at the age of 12, and he would go on to credit this novel with inspiring his work that would become Nexium. A former earlier partner of Keith Rainier's Barbara Boucher has shared stories about her childhood alongside his and claimed to have been told by his father, James, quote, what we did is we told Keith about how gifted he was and how intelligent he was. And in fact, it was almost like a switch went off. And suddenly, overnight, he turned into what was only described as like Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, he was superior and better than everybody. Like he was some sort of deity. He said it was that dramatic and that profound. He said it went right to Keith's head. Barbara herself, likewise, recalled a story about a 13-year-old Keith's relationship with girls. Quote, Dozens of young girls were calling the house and his mother was overhearing all of these conversations with them, hearing everything that he was telling every single one of these ladies. And wouldn't you know, it was the same exact thing. I love you. No, 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 you're the special one. You're important. You're the only one in my life and I love you so much. She also says that he was saying this to all of the girls at the same time. Which means he's clearly lying. Because if that's the case, all of them are not special. Then, in 1982, Keith would graduate from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. He only had a 2.26 GPA. Having failed or barely even passing many of the upper-level math and science classes that he was bragging about taking, this will actually become somewhat normal for Keith. He's gonna brag and share things that, <laughs> they're just not fucking true. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's keep discussing deep, deep, deep secrets of Keith's. 
so you can really know the man. In 1984, according to reports by the Albany Times Union, the then 24-year-old Keith allegedly had a sexual relationship with a 15-year-old by the name of Gina Melita. Everybody, everybody, with me now. One, two, three. Oh, that's nasty. If you ask me, that's just fucking disgusting. No 24-year-old has any business with a 15-year-old. But that's not here nor there because this has already happened. Anyways, the two actually met in a theater group. After they ended their relationship, which should have just never began, Gina would introduce him to her friend, wouldn't you know, another woman by the name of Gina. This would be Gina Hutchinson. Spoiler alert, she was also only 15. As you can see, Keith has a type. Well, wouldn't you know, he also became sexually involved with this Gina. After Gina's older sister found Keith climbing out of Gina's bedroom window, she would confront Keith asking him, hey, that girl is 15, what business do you have, you know, canoodling with her? To which Keith said Gina was his Buddhist goddess meant to be with him. By the way, that's like an exact quote. He straight up told this girl's sister, she is my Buddhist goddess and she is supposed to be mine. Okay, <laughs> you're fucking weird. Gina Hutchinson would actually go on to drop out of school and continue her relationship with Keith. She then would begin working at one of Keith's little projects called Consumer Byline. We're gonna get into that, we're gonna get into that. Just not yet. I will let you know that Consumer's Byline was one of his multi-level marketing companies. If you didn't catch that, that means an MLM. However, sadly, Gina would be found with a gunshot to her head on October 11, 2002. This was on the grounds of a Buddhist monastery in Woodstock. This seemed like an apparent suicide, but as we continue to learn about Keith and his evil ways, maybe you won't believe that's the case. Because many people don't. I'm, I'm one of those many people, by the way. This brings us to June of 1988. The Times Union would profile Keith, reporting on his memberships in the Mega Society and all of his achievements and high scores on founder Ronald K. Hewlin's Mega Test. This is a unsupervised 48 test published in April of 1985 issue of Omni Magazine. Although the Mega Test has been widely criticized as not having been reportedly anything, you know, validating. Just something to take for fun and be like, oh, I did this great on it. Oh, I'm a genius. But there's no real backing. At least that is what the criticists of it say. I have an opinion neither here nor there. By the way, side note, I apologize, but you guys can probably hear Binks snoring. He likes to cuddle up next to me and just pass out when I do these things. So along with this, in addition to as well in 1989, being added to the Guinness Book of World Records for the category of the highest IQ, described by Hewlin Research Group as, quote, the most exclusive ultra-high IQ society. And in 1989, Australian edition identified Keith as Marilyn Vos Savant and Eric Hart as the highest scoring members of the group. Basically, Keith Marilyn and Eric were the only people who have gotten such high scores that the Guinness Book was like, holy shit, y'all fucking smart. But we're gonna learn <clears throat> this was all false. But the facade of Keith will not fall just yet. 
Oh, no, no. A lot of things in Keith's life seemed to go very well. This man had amazing luck. But that would crumble eventually. And along the way, we are going to learn all about the destruction and damage of Keith Rainier. That will fortify the company. Yeah. That will that will fortify. Well, but do you understand that I think that's part of the problem is that we don't teach that process. Oh, I. So nobody knows even about it. Do you no, hear what I, I? You hear what I said? That you think that it's good. That yeah, that having you pursue it right. and bring it up, so it ultimately went even arbitrating between Nancy and yourself right. with me. Right. That was very good. But what I'm trying to say, though, Keith, is, is that we believe that there are certain problems, the pink or white elephants, whatever we want to call them in mm -hmm. the room, and a collectively a group of us, and there are many people outside of this group of ten. There are about 40 people that I could list for you mm -hmm. right now that see these similar that's, elephants, that's and yet fine. we as a company mm -hmm. don't ever address those elephants. And I don't necessarily agree with you, but maybe not address it the way you think it should be addressed. That, okay, okay, I leave open that that's possibly true, but what I see are the effects. I know. The effects are you don't have our the company is falling apart. You don't have the experience of leadership. Okay. You don't have the experience of preserving people's lives with what you say, and the truth of the matter is, if, well, if in it a way, takes neither me, do you. In, yes, I do. No, you don't, because the only company before this was Consumers Byline, and that, in my understanding, fell apart within a few years, Do you or was on the downhill after a couple of years when you got sued, or whatever it was. That's not, well, here's the thing. I've been shot at because of my beliefs. Right. I've had to make choices, should I have bodyguards, should I have them armed or not. Right. Um, I've had people killed. Right. because of my beliefs right. and because of their beliefs right. and because of things that I've said mm -hmm. and I'm mindful of that mm -hmm. let's go ahead and talk about Keith's lovely little MLM adventures through the 1980s Keith was involved with the MLM company Amway Soap and Hope is the story of Amway. Amway, short for the American way, is nothing less than a national phenomenon. It got its start as a shop-at-home company dealing mostly in soap and soap products, and has now become a $1.5 billion a year enterprise. But there is more to Amway than soap. What they're really selling is hope. The hope of getting rich beyond your wildest dreams. Others insist, however, that Amway is just a clever marketing scheme to enrich a few lucky people. Whatever it is, it has gotten a million people to selling soap, and it begins with some old-fashioned motivation. A acquaintance of Keith, Heidi Hutchinson, recalled that during the late 1980s, Keith was fascinated by Amway. And, of course, Scientology. Because, like, me too. But I think I'm fascinated by it for a whole other reason. I find it incredible that some sort of sci-fi writer created a religion that now is just well, cuckoo. But, you know, Keith loved it. That kind of sets the path for this man if you get my drift. All the evidence that man is a spirit is complete and utter nonsense. Man is an animal! 
people who want you to believe that should live in the zoo. Find out who you really are in Scientology, a new slant on life by L. Ron Hubbard. It'll open your eyes, and you're going to like what you see. Get yours wherever paperbacks are sold. Your emotions, your personality, they're just chemical reactions. Man is nothing more than a brain. A brain! Forget the phony brain theories. Find out who you really are in Scientology, a new slant on life by L. Ron Hubbard. It'll open your eyes, and you're going to like what you see, wherever paperbacks are sold. Besides the fact that he basically saw L. Ron Hubbard as an inspiration with his Scientology, whatever. Sorry, I don't really feel like it's a religion, but also, I don't subscribe to any religion, so, eh, okay. Well, besides his obsession with Amway and Scientology, he was also very, very into neuro-linguistic programming. He also worked as a computer programmer for New York State's Division of Parole. So let's go ahead and dive into one of his little ventures. This is the one I mentioned earlier, the one where Gina Hutchinson worked. This is Consumer's Byline. On Saturday night, more than 200 main Consumer's Byline members packed into this Biddeford theater, all looking to meet the man behind the company, President Keith Raniere. But Raniere did not show up, and some say, as a result, the meeting got nasty. It was pretty exciting, I guess, from, from the point of view of uh, people wanted answers. I think he decided he didn't need the state of Maine. Some former Consumers Byline members say what happened here Saturday night simply confirms something they've been suspecting all along. That the company out of New York just can't handle the thousands and thousands of members it has here in Maine and nationwide. Furthermore, the company cannot address a growing number of questions and complaints. By 1990, Keith founded his very own multi-level marketing company. This was Consumers Byline Incorporated. It would be at a CBI pitch meeting that Keith would meet Tony Natalie, who subsequently would go on to be a top seller for the organization alongside her then-husband. Tony Natalie would soon move with her son later to Clifton Park, New York to be closer to Keith. And then suddenly, as soon as her and her son moved to be closer to Keith, her marriage would end. And then, wouldn't you know, Keith and Tony would begin dating and they would last for nearly eight years. Now this is important because Tony also plays a part in this case of Keith. But let's continue. CBI's operations were restricted in 1993 after the company was investigated by 20 different states. That year, New York State filed a lawsuit alleging that the organization was just some sort of pyramid scheme. Which is why I said an MLM earlier, because most of us know that that is nothing but a scam. CBI was permanently shut down in September of 1996. This was done by the Attorney General of New York after it was being investigated by, at that point, 25 states. Keith signed a consent order permanently barring him from, quote, promoting, offering, or granting any participation in a chain distribution scheme. And it also ordered him to pay a $40,000 fine. So there you go, case closed, right? He's good, he's gonna go do something better with his life and never ever get involved with an MLM again. Eh wrong. We wouldn't be here. I mean, we might, we might, because he's still a pretty shitty guy, minus his little MLM schemes. But he, he does continue. 
1994, Keith operated National Health Network, which was another multi-level seller of vitamins. So, like, maybe it wasn't selling you hopes and dreams like most MLMs, but it did have vitamins, so, like, yay. However, this business would also fail in 1999. Alongside all of this in the mid-1990s, Keith and his then-lady-love, Tony, were operating a health product store as well. This is going to bring us to 1998. And this, this is sort of where the birth of Nexium begins. Most people had never heard of Nexium until this happened. Allison Mack. She has been charged with sex trafficking. The FBI arrested the group's leader, as well as Allison Mack. Over several months, a number of charges were laid, including sex trafficking, forced labor, and racketeering conspiracy. And all hell broke loose. Mack was with the alleged cult leader when he was arrested in Mexico. Nexium has been called a terrifying cult, a sex cult, a pyramid scheme, and even a group bent on world domination. But what is Nexium? In 1998, Tony and Natalie would meet Nancy Salzman. Nancy was a nurse and a trained practitioner of hypnotism, and also a trained practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming. As you guys remember, this is also something that Keith was very much into. As Tony and Natalie would go on to recall, quote, Nancy said, you're so wonderful, how can I help you? So I said, well, you can help me with my boyfriend. He has grandiose ideas and his hours were becoming erratic again. As Nancy listened, she looked at Tony and said, oh, that's easy, I can definitely help you. He's a sociopath. They then would meet up four days later and she came out with glazed eyes and gave Nancy the look of, you don't know exactly who this man is. Despite what Nancy may have felt in the beginning for Keith, they would go on to found a company together. Together, they would open Executive Success Programs, a personal development company. This offered a range of techniques that were aimed at self-improvement. And let's face it, anyone who's anybody always wants to fix themselves. It's the point of life. You grow. A few years later, the programs were rebranded under the name Nexium. I have a vision of what it could be like to be a human to experience connection, compassion, love. ESP Nexium is a methodology for enhancing human experience and behavior. You're the kind of person who wants to do good. Where would you go? This actually helps you so that you can build love. It was the next level of being a woman. More than anything, I've been getting to know myself. This is the family that I've been looking for my whole life. How do I do better? It is manipulative, but it's a good manipulation. I'm feeling the most fear if I can overcome this. Our commitment is our power. We sign a lifelong vow. Vow to integrity and honor. Building more character and discipline. Vow to be good men. Vow of obedience. A vow of devotion. Once Nexium truly gets off the ground, Keith decides he would like to adopt the title of Vanguard. This was from a favorite arcade game in which the destruction of one's enemies increased one's very own power. And Nancy would be known as Prefect. 
Much of Nexium was influenced by the teachings of Ayn Rand. This was one of Keats' favorite authors. Now we enter into 1998, when Keith and Tony's eight-year relationship would sadly come to an end. She would later go on to claim that she had been a victim of harassment from him. In a January 2003 ruling from a federal judge by the name of Robert L. Littlefield, it implied that Keith was using a legal suit to harass his former partner, which the judge Robert Littlefield would go on to write this. This matter smacks of a jilted fellow's attempt at revenge or retaliation against his former girlfriend, with many attempts at tripping her up along the way. This would go on to be a common theme for Keith. Let's fast forward to 2002, when Keith and Nancy would successfully recruit members of the influential Bronfman family. In case you have no idea who I'm talking about, these would be the heirs to the multi-million dollar Seagram's fortune. Hey, me fellas. Look here. just a fun little audio of Bruce Willis singing all about their wine coolers for Seagram's. Sarah Bronfman initially became involved and then she was followed along suit by her sister Claire Bronfman. Their father, Edgar Bronfman Sr., would also go forward and take a course for Nexium the year after they joined. Why are these characters so important? These characters are so important because they would all be key people involved in the cult or case, whatever you'd like to call, Nexium. My name is India. I was in a cult for seven years. When I was a child, I felt very loved, but I grew up looking for a more purposeful life. Nexium was a program to make people's lives better. I found real deep sense of community. I felt like I was in the right place. So how did we all end up in the clutches of a monster? Keith Ranieri is the most horrific cult leader. He was someone that I really trusted. I can't tell you how much guilt I feel. My daughter, I've been in the presence of so much evil. I had to ask permission to eat. There's control of sleep. Demeaning sexual acts. It kept getting more extreme. All over the globe. We don't know how many victims there could be. The cruelty, it's beyond the pale. I didn't want to be saved. I had no idea the worst was about to happen. Okay, I would love to continue forward and tell you more about Nexium and why we're really here. But I can't just yet. Because right now we gotta pause and I have to tell you all about the disappearance of Kristen Snyder. I attended a course called Executive Success Programs, aka Nexium. I was brainwashed and my emotional center of the brain was killed, turned off. Please contact my parents. Sorry. If you find me or this note,
I'm sorry, life. I didn't know I was already dead. Kristen Marie Snyder was 35 years old and an environmental consultant who, in November of 2002, paid roughly $7,000, all just to enroll in a 16-day personal development course conducted in Anchorage, Alaska. And who was this conducted and hosted by? Nancy Salzman. The following January, Snyder traveled to New York State to revisit Keith and Nexium leaders. This is when Christy Snyder's mother recalled that her daughter had become to believe that she was responsible for the Columbia shuttle disaster. For those of you who do not know, the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster was a fatal incident in the United States space program that occurred on February 1st of 2003. On this day, when the space shuttle re-entered our world's atmosphere, it immediately disintegrated, killing all seven crew members. So obviously, it would be pretty bizarre that Kristen believed that she had some sort of responsibility for this. However, she did believe this, and she also believed that, quote, Keith was incredible. Kristen was accompanied by her partner, Heidi Clifford. And while there, she decided to sign up for a second 16-day course in Anchorage. On February 6th of 2003, the 10th day of the second seminar, Kristen reportedly began claiming to be pregnant with Keith's child, a claim allegedly corroborated by Claire Bronfman. You guys remember her, the heir to Seagram's? Yeah, she's over here like, it's true, I have the receipts, as the kids would say. Heidi Clifford would go on to have this to say about the whole incident. Quote, I was told by a Nexium instructor not to bring her to the hospital. That's what makes me feel really bad about this. Kristen Snyder was last seen leaving a session of one of the courses. Her vehicle would go on to be discovered two days later in Seaward, Alaska. This was roughly about 120 miles away from Anchorage. The police would also discover a note and it had a few pretty odd things in it. It talked about how Kristen had just attended a course called the Executive Success Programs, and that it was also based in Anchorage, Alaska and Albany, New York. She claims that she was brainwashed and that her emotional center was turned off. She felt as though she was rotting from the insides, or that's what she states in the letter. She apologizes to her life and to those she loves because she didn't realize she was already dead. And on a separate page from this letter were the words, no need to search for my body. A witness at Keith's 2019 trial testified that after Snyder disappeared, Keith paid $24,000 to obtain the password to her email account. I'm not saying he did anything, but I'm also saying yeah, no, maybe he did. But you don't have to tell me your opinion or make any judgments just yet. Let's get back to Nexium. Hey, come to this course where you're gonna have to be somebody's slave. What the hell happened to me? He showed them horrific scenes of violence and he filmed their facial expression. I realized how dangerous it was. They wanted me to ask permission to do anything. It was a master-slave dynamic. It totally changed my brain. I felt like I will die for Keith.
In October of 2003, Keith would be featured cloaked in shadows on the cover of Forbes magazine. This would be accompanied by the words, the world's strangest executive coach. Despite what you may be thinking about a cover story and all the fame and glory that could come with it, this would in fact be a devastating cover story. And all of it was penned by Michael Friedman, entitled The Cult of Personality. Now this has been described as being a goldmine of previously unpublished information. The story goes on to discuss all about Keith's title of Vanguard and details his previous shuttered businesses like, you know, consumer bylines. The one that failed. Well, I mean, one of them that failed. It also includes a quote from Edgar Bronfman, and it would be this quote made by Edgar Bronfman which would seal his fate into becoming the number one enemy of Nexium. You see, Edgar, in his own words, would state that Nexium was nothing but a cult. Vanity Fair at this very same time would subsequently report on the Forbes article impacting within all of the group. Quote, people at Nexium were stunned. They were expecting a positive story. The top ranks of Nexium had spoken to Forbes, including Mr. Ranieri, Mrs. Salzman, and Sarah Bronfman. What upset them above all in fact, was Edgar Bronfman's remarks. Also, according to Vanity Fair, this article was a turning point in Keith's relationship with Edgar Bronfman, the very point that made Edgar the enemy. A witness at Keith's trial would later go on to testify that the Bronfman's computer would become compromised and all of his emails would become monitored by a group of members for a period of several years, all under the request of Keith himself. So I guess it's safe to say, if you mess with Keith, you get the horns. Wait, that's not right. You mess with the bull, you get the Keith. No, no, that's not it either. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. Yeah, that one. But seriously, the NSA ain't got nothing on Keith. You better believe if you had ever met Mr. Rainier and you crossed him, you would have eyes on you faster than a potato. And don't you worry, we're gonna learn about that. Okay, so tell me what upsets you. For my EM, I chose to work on my anxiety around auditioning. So Nancy had me close my eyes and she said, go back to the first time you remember feeling that anxiety. Can you bring that feeling up now? And what I flashed on immediately was, I was four years old and I was sitting on a man's lap and he was sexually inappropriate with me. And what does it feel like? Is it a pressure or is there movement? And then almost immediately I flashed on another situation which was I was with a director and he sexually harassed me. And what do you say to yourself when they do this? It occurred to me that there was a link of being hurt by men in power. Does it change your understanding of the situation? And once I made that connection, it seemed as if the fear lifted. Does it feel better? Okay, we're done. Thank you. Now we need to get into some more stuff about Barbara. You guys remember Barbara Boucher, right? I mentioned her earlier and how she was a lifelong friend and a younger acquaintance with Keith. She would go on to spend about $1.6 million, all to cover losses in commodities trades which Keith made in her name. 
From January 2005 until late 2007, Keith lost nearly $70 million in commodities trading. Keith suggested to Claire Bronfman that the losses were due to the market manipulation. You guys know how that works, right? You know, stuff that causes inflation and all that mumbo jumbo, like why is all my money disappearing? Why is everything so expensive? What happened? Oh, that's just because of the market, it's up and down, it's always being manipulated. However, he claimed that all of this manipulation was being caused by her father. He was the bad guy. Beginning in August of 2005, the Bronfman sisters covered the losses ultimately using about $150 million of their funds in support of Keith and all of his organizational ideas and all that he was losing at the time. Of course, all while this is happening, eager to completely distance themselves from the notion of being a cult, because these allegations were currently everywhere in the press. Nexium members were scurrying around trying to figure out what can we do. This is when they decided to seek out the endorsement of the Dalai Lama. They would shell out an astounding $2 million on this project. Do you see so that, why that, that comment that, upset that, a lot of women? That was one time. If female Dalai Lama comes, and it should be more attractive, if female Dalai Lama, older, <laughs> dead people, I think prefer not see uh, a dead face. Yes, a lot of women would say that's objectifying women and it's about who you are inside isn't it yes i think both yeah anyways great guy anyways eight years later it was revealed that in 2009 sarah bronfman had a sexual relationship with lama tenzin dandan tenzin was the dalai lama's gatekeeper who arranged the appearance and who was also a monk and had taken a vow of celibacy which means uh you can't diddle anyone's doodle because of these accusations of corruption, Tenzin was replaced. On May 6th of 2009, the Dalai Lama traveled to Albany to give a talk. And during the event, he presented Keith with a white scarf on stage. The Dalai Lama additionally wrote the foreword of the book, The Sphinx and the Telexpia, which Keith Ranieri co-authored in 2009. The prior year, Keith had co-authored his first book, Odin and the Sphinx. Keith was just a jack of all trades and a jackass. So she was confined to a room and eventually was driven to the Mexican border and uh, was, was left there when she decided that, you know, she could no longer handle it. Okay, we're looking at Ranieri with a number of women. Do we know uh, any of those, Daniela? No, we the woman know. that we no. just saw, Keith okay. Ranieri, with was Nancy Salzman, who ah. is the president of, of Nexium, uh, or former president of Nexium, someone who's actually also pleaded guilty in this case. Okay, um... Another woman named Lauren is, is key, the testimony from her of late, yes. We heard really fascinating uh, testimony from Lauren Salzman. This is one of the women who was his co-accused. There were five women who were all charged and all pleaded guilty. Keith Ranieri is now the only person on trial. Lauren Salzman has been part of Nexium uh, since her early 20s. She was part of the organization for 20 years, was a frontline member of DOS, which is that secret women's group where women were being branded on their body with Keith Ranieri's initials. Mm -hmm. And she has now provided testimony about what was going on, you know, in the inner workings of this secret women's group. And it was very damning testimony. You know, some people are saying damning testimony because she says that Keith Ranieri was the grand master of this group. He had claimed he, it was not him that was a part of it. It was only being run by women. But we hear from her that, in fact, he orchestrated the entire thing. And it puts him at the top of this scheme, which she says was designed to essentially control women in it. 
This brings us to 2009, when a group of Keefe's executives known as the Nexium 9 would break free from Keefe and his organization. They cited, quote, concerns about unethical practices and alleged abuse of his leadership status and sexual manipulation of women within the organization. One of the dissenters, Barbara Boucher, you guys remember her, she had been Keith's partner for roughly nine years. And in March of 2010, Keith learned that the Inner Circle member, Daniela, had kissed another man. According to the 2019 trial testimony, upon hearing the news, Keith locked himself in a bathroom. Because he's super mature. Then, after this, he ordered that Daniela be confined to a room with only a mattress and a video camera. This is where she would be continuously held for two years. Now, let's go to November of 2019, when Vanity Fair would publish an article titled The Heiress of the Cult, in which Keith's former partner, Tony Natalie, you guys remember her as well, right? Tony would go on to say that, quote, Keith had insisted she keep the dead body of her puppy in the garage freezer and she had to look at it daily. That same month, the New York Post would report that the existence of a video in which Keith is heard telling two followers, quote, I've had people killed because of my beliefs or because of their beliefs. I played that audio for you guys earlier. In 2010, Albany Times Union articles, Nexium former coaches would go on to characterize students as, quote, prey for Keith to satisfy either his gambling or his sexual desires. Right now, as you can guess, shit is really starting to hit the fan for Keith and all of Nexium. In 2011, Tony Natalie would file documents in a federal court alleging that she had been repeatedly raped by Keith. Now we are going to get into the sexual relationships that Keith had and a lot of this has to do with minors. So again, please if you need to, go ahead and stop this episode. This isn't for everyone, I believe me, I know that. It's not even for me, but I would like for you all to be informed and know about our world and the very dark and real shit that happens. Because everything isn't just rainbow farts and unicorns. No, in fact, our world is quite nightmarish and downright disturbing. But before we get into those details, we need to talk a little bit more about some stuff. There's a woman by the name of Kristen Keefe, who was a longtime partner of Keith and the mother of his son, Galen. That's right, Keith is a father. This child was born in 2007, and he had earlier been reported to be an orphan that was actually adopted by Keith and by Kristen, rather than their biological child that they had together. In 2010, it was reported that Keith had ordered that the child be kept away from all of its peers and that he would be cared for by nannies speaking in different languages. In February of 2014, Kristen broke with Keith and his group. After this, she fled the region with her son. An email that bared her name explained, quote, I have a full soul legal guardianship of Galen. Keith was experimenting on him. I had to get Galen away. She would publicly go on to describe Keith as, quote, dangerous. This brings us to 2015 when it was reported that Kristen had alleged that Keith directed a Canadian investigative firm known as Canaprobe to obtain financial information on six federal judges and a U.S. senator from the state of New York, as well as a reporter, an editor, and the publisher of the Times Union. 
That very same year, Kristen further alleged that Keith had planned to lure his critics to Mexico. This would be done with an invitation to an anti-cult conference. Once they'd be in Mexico, the critics were to be arrested on false charges by order of a judge who had been bribed. Yeah, we're starting to learn that maybe Keith is a pretty fucking bad dude. But hey, if you didn't think he was just yet, well, you're about to. The obsessed former Nexium employee who broke the story in the first place. I'm trying to write a song that's appropriate for, for Ranieri. And this came to my mind. Because it is an American story. At Keith's trial, court testimony, and WhatsApp messages. So thanks to some testimony, these WhatsApp messages, they were found to be sexually explicit photos of a minor presented by the prosecution as evidence. Suggests starting from 2005 that Keith was sexually involved with a 15-year-old girl by the name of Camilla. Camilla was confirmed in the allegations in her victim impact statement at Keith's sentencing, stating that she met Keith when she was just 13, and they began a sexual relationship within the first two years of knowing one another, which lasted for roughly 12 more years. Basically, Keith groomed her from 13 years old and kept her as his sexual slave. Ugh, it's fucking disgusting. Of course, as you can imagine, this ongoing, extremely inappropriate relationship with Keith has caused Camilla extremely long-lasting psychological and emotional scars, including battling an eating disorder ever since Keith directed her to maintain a very unhealthy low weight. He gave her sexually transmitted diseases like HPV, and she's even attempted suicide. Camilla was also asked to join DOS. This brings us to the secret group that was a subgroup that Ranieri created in Nexium. Camilla's entire family were members of Nexium. She would finally go on to leave Nexium in 2017, all with the help of her sister, Daniela, and blames Keith for tearing her family apart. Before we really dive into DOS, I need to fill you in some more on Keith and his highly inappropriate relationships with women. Keith had a sexual relationship with both of Camilla's sisters. All three sisters even got pregnant at different times and would have to have abortions at the suggestion of Keith. And this wasn't like a, hey, you know, I think you should uh, put that. It was more of a, if you don't kill the baby, I'm gonna kill you. He, he didn't care. Like I said, Keith was a very bad guy. Her sister Daniela would go on to testify at the trial that she was groomed by Keith, all while she was still underage. She says that he began a sexual relationship with her days after her 18th birthday. 
When Daniela told Keith that she was interested in another man, he assigned Lauren Salzman, who is actually the daughter of the Nexium president, Nancy Salzman. Well, Keith decided to assign Lauren to help her learn from her mistakes. Daniela would be confined and kept in a room away from her family for two years. In this room, all she had was a mattress, a pen, and some paper. Even though Daniela was in the same house as her family, the only person that she could have any contact with was Lauren. In 2012, Daniela agreed to return to her home country and was left at the border with very little money and no personal documents. She would go on to slowly rebuild her life and get a copy of her birth certificate, all with the help of an attorney at a human rights commission she was finally getting back on her feet. After years of estrangement, Daniela reconnected with some of her family members when they left Nexium. At Keith's trial, Daniela would go on to say, quote, As I built a world, I was only after what I was able to look back at. The world I was once in, I realized, was nothing but a monstrosity that I had been in. Not quite sure how to break that apart, but at the same time, it's kind of just chilling to me. In my take of this is she didn't realize the absolute just devilish world she was in until she looked back after. And sometimes for us, that's just how it is. But when you're in a cult, oftentimes you don't know you are until you are. But most of the time, when you realize you're in it, you can't get out. Times Union would release an expose in 2012. An unnamed woman would say that she had a sexual relationship with Keith when she was 12 and 13 years old. Keith really liked the young women, like an inappropriate degree of them. Not that there's any appropriate degree, I'm just stating that this man was fucking disgusting. Well, she states that she met Keith in 1990 when her mother worked for Keith at a multi-level marketing company. This company was Consumers Byline. Keith offered to tutor her in Latin and algebra, and soon they would begin this sexual relationship. This relationship took a psychological toll on her as well. She would start skipping school and even run away from home. Eventually, she would go on to receive counseling for sexual relationships with abuse. She discovered that she was actually a victim of grooming and sexual assault, sexual abuse, and she had PTSD. Her story is quite heartbreaking and very stomach-churning to just read. Quite frankly, anything that has to do with Keith Raniere is just... It's fucking disturbing. The things he would do to women is just, it's really fucking gross. I can't even go on to name most of it, but I've included several audios of just people talking about it. And it it gets worse, guys. It gets gets really bad. I don't really want to go into the details of it, but at Keith's trial, prosecutors would introduce evidence about Keith's discussing his views on sexual assault and child sexual abuse. Let's just say Keith didn't really see any problems with it. I don't like Keith. No, not at all. I just thought, I believe Allison. I wanted to do well in this program and I wanted to be promoted. And I was never going to share this secret. We were at this coach summit event. Allison and I were like hiding behind this little coffee table on a break. I give her this collateral and she starts telling me about this thing called DOS, this secret society of women that is unlike anything else in Nexium. She believed that the other Nexium programs couldn't push me to become truly empowered 
like Doss could. Allison told me that Keith had no involvement in this. She said it was women mentoring women in a very specialized, deep way. We are now in 2015. This is when Keith Rainier decided to create a secret subgroup within Nexium called DOS. And this is where the shit really hits the fan. DOS was an acronym. An acronym for Dominius Obsequious Sororium. This is known as Dog Latin and it loosely translates to Lord or Master of the Obedient Female Companions or master over slave women. DOS operated with levels of slaves headed by masters. These slaves were expected to recruit their very own slaves, allowing them to become masters themselves. Slaves owed service not only to their masters, but also to masters above them in the DOS pyramid. An estimated 150 women joined DOS. Keith was the only male in the DOS program. And of course, he sat at the very top of the pyramid, known as the Grand Master. Let's talk about the first members of DOS. The first few members were Allison Mack, Nikki Klein, and Lauren Salzman, all of whom were also his sexual partners. In case you hadn't caught on, for some reason, a lot of women seemed to think that Keith was just the tits and several women were servicing his member at all points in time. And then there were women who wanted nothing to do with his member, but he forced it on them. Keith would maintain command and control over the DOS members by collecting what is known as collateral. Along with this collateral that he would collect from the girls who would come into DOS, he also relied on his inner circle members to carry out his orders and build the DOS pyramid. Basically, Keith wanted all of the ladies that were involved in Nexium to become his sexual slaves. And of course, it was up to the women who were already in DOS, including his inner circle of females, the ones he was already, well, fucking all the time, to get more women for Keith to prey upon. His status as the leader of DOS was concealed from new members. DOS masters would recruit women by telling them that they were joining a women's only organization that would empower them and eradicate perforated weaknesses that the Nexium curriculum taught were common in women. Basically, hey, you're a lady, you know how society's kind of beat you down, told you that you're only good for men and you ain't good for shit because you're a woman. Yeah, no, DOS was supposed to tell you that you are a woman, you're empowered, and you can do anything because you're a woman, so frar, hear me fucking roar, or something like that. I don't know, that was probably a little bit too much. But you get what I'm saying, DOS was coming off as this empowering program for ladies and there'd be no men in sight. But this was all a lie. After joining DOS, slaves were required to continue to give new collateral every single month. But not just every month, as they entered DOS, they also had to give them collateral. So what is this collateral that I keep mentioning? Well, it would include highly damaging personal information, access to all of your accounts, including your money. 
Let's add in some more damaging things, like some extremely sexually explicit photos and videos. And why not? But also, when you join DOS, you sign the rights of all of your personal assets directly over to them. Now, many of you are probably sitting there like, what? Who would ever fucking join that? That just sounds dumb. But again, you don't realize you're in a cult until you're in it. Most of the time, people that are in the center of these shit shows have no idea what they're truly getting into. Hindsight is always 2020, but when you're standing in the center of it, you're blind as a fucking bat. And these poor women were absolutely blind. In fact, all of the quote slaves that were in the DOS program were threatened. They were consistently told if they ever decided to leave DOS or tell anybody of its existence, all of that pretty damaging collateral would be released everywhere. I don't know about you. Okay, well, I personally don't give two shits because I do have an OF and if you want to see me naked, then you go pay a few bucks and ban, there you go. But for these women, that was not what they wanted. They didn't want their nudes out. They didn't want videos of them. They didn't want any of that being released. To that, I say, hey, we all have naked bodies. If someone wants to threaten you, fucking let them do it. But for these women, this would have destroyed them. So they continued to do as they were told and never spoke of anyone about DOS. I'm, well, at least not yet. That window is where it happened. I was the first woman in my group of slaves to be branded. The smell that came from the cauterizing pen burning my flesh was so intense that it filled up the entire townhouse. It was torture, but I still went through with it. How do you even begin to explain something like this? I think even worse than the pain was finding out what was really, what the brand really was. What was the brand? Well, ultimately we found out that the brand was Keith Raniere's initials, but um, for a very long time we were told that it was a symbol of the elements and that was another major lie that was told from the top down. One thing that I thought was just, I mean, so perverted uh, was that Allison Mack, the actress who was your master, actually made you take pictures of your vagina. Um, what did she say the reason for taking the picture was? Why? A lot of it was butchered feminism. Like, they were telling us things that if we took these photos if we pushed back on fears that we had or vulnerabilities that we felt, that we would have some kind of freedom on the other <laughs> on the other end. Like we would be then magically without insecurity or something. And and I wanted to believe that because I wanted to believe that what I was doing was good for me because I had been there for years and mm -hmm. I had been conditioned to think that way. And it's hard. It's hard to look at your life and question your decisions because you have to see the things that you've done that are that are painful and not good. Yeah, and then and then you find out that they were sending once again. That was supposed to be like a, a build a confidence builder for you 
and then they're sending it to Ranieri, uh, and he's commenting on all these pictures he's getting. Right, and I will say it was never a confidence booster. So it always felt uncomfortable, and it always felt invasive, and it was never something that I felt I was doing by my choice. Like, if you want to, if you wanted to take pictures of yourself, go for it. Do it for yourself if it makes you feel good. But this was all done by force and by fear, and that's what makes it even worse. Absolutely. And then at the end of the trail is the ultimate thing of what. I guess Ranieri had planned was he forces you to have sex with him. Yeah, and that wasn't a one-time thing. That was a reoccurring incident for me and many other women. And I also didn't find that out until later because what he did very well was have other people keep his secrets. To the extent that even people that I considered my best friend within the group, I had no idea what was happening to her. And she was experiencing awful abuse from Ranieri. Das masters directly required their slaves to engage in sexual activity with Keith. By the way, Keith had a preference in his women. He wanted them to be exceptionally thin. And Das members were in fact forced to adhere to a very strict diet. They had to document every single thing that they ate along with its calories. This extreme diet caused several women to just stop menstruating and have their hair fall out. In case you didn't know, this is really fucking bad. Unless you are pregnant or a doctor has done something to stop you from menstruating, you shouldn't stop. But it didn't really matter because Keith was happy. And if he was happy, everybody was happy. That's actually a lie. I think all of the women were just miserable, but they were so afraid to say anything. At least, at this point. When Keith demanded women around him to remain excruciatingly thin and claiming any extra weight on a woman would disrupt his sexual energy. Keith himself would binge, however, on junk food, chowing down on piles and piles of potato chips, eating pizza, and he would do this all around the clock, along with shoving his face full of, like, candy and cake in front of these women who were basically starving to death. By the way, Keith isn't any sort of physically fit man in any way, shape, or form. Keith stands at roughly five foot, honestly, he's probably like five five. And he is a little bit on the, uh, you know, husky side. Not a big boy, just not a thin one. Definitely has no rights telling anyone what their weight should be. That's just my take on it. And if anyone wants to get mad at me because I just dogged Keith's body, <laughs> I don't care. Honestly, Keith is a piece of shit. So me saying that he is not physically fit is like the nicest thing I can say about this horrible human. So these slaves were severely sleep deprived. They were forced to participate in what are known as readiness drills and subjected to corporal punishment. Every slave was required to provide services for their masters. This went from running errands to cleaning their homes to doing their laundry and of course, doing things for them sexually. Every day, Somebody in the chain of command would send in the word ready to team members all over the world. And then everyone on the team would have to respond with the word ready within 60 seconds. I was in a group of six women that included India. If one of the team members missed the drill, 
you would have a fail. When our group failed the readiness drill, we would get what they called a penance, like a punishment. Sometimes you're taking cold showers, or we would get up at like four o'clock in the morning and stand for half an hour. So if you're traveling, if you're sleeping, if you're driving, like you're always on edge, you're always thinking, you're always going, is it gonna go off? What's next? That was what we did to build character. Many of the women would end up being branded on their pelvic areas using a cauterizing pen with Keats and Allison Mack's initials. This branding was performed by a Nexium member of the name Dr. Danielle Roberts at Allison Mack's house. The DOS branding ritual followed a script created by Keith himself. The slaves were required to be fully naked with the ceremonies filmed and used as more collateral on the DOS slaves. In a recorded conversation between Allison and Keith discussing the branding, Keith told Allison this, quote, the person should probably ask to be branded. They should probably say that before they're being held down so that it doesn't seem like, you know, they're being coerced. Only Keith's inner circle members knew that the branding was actually his initials, and only him and Allison knew that hers were entangled in there as well. Doss's slaves were told that the brand was, quote, a symbol of the elements, and they were completely unaware of exactly what it was. At Keith's trial, prosecutors introduced a recording of a private meeting with Doss's inner circle members in which Keith stated this, quote, The monogram, as it is right now, is very directly related to my initials. The group will continue to discuss how this obscure connection to Keith's initials from Doss members would be, I guess, covered up. It's actually a really fucked up recording. It's, the whole thing is just super fucking twisted. Keith and his inner circle members are just, they're disgusting. At Keith's trial, a DOS slave testified that when she finally confronted Keith, he told her that DOS was, quote, a walk in the park. He would even add, you guys think you have it so bad, but this is nothing compared to other alternative subculture groups. Basically, because someone came to him and was like, hey, you know, I'm kind of uncomfortable with this. Like, you guys are putting a hot fucking cauterizing pen on me and telling me that this is for the elements, you know? Like, what, what's going on? I don't like it. It's really tough. I'm also not getting a lot of sleep. Can, can we, like, can we chill a little bit? To which Keith is like, no, fuck you. Well, technically, fuck me, because <laughs> you have to. Again, this, this is just, it's a really bad little group here, and these women were suffering. It wasn't just the horrible sexual abuse and the way they were being taken advantage of. They were barely sleeping. There are countless upon countless interviews with women saying how 24 hours in a day wasn't enough for all of the things they were being demanded to do. These women were struggling. Following Keith's conviction in an email to Nikki Klein, Keith would defend his formation of DOS. He stated this, quote, I believe the sorority is good. Not just good, but even noble. It is great and vitally important for women and all of humanity. The missing part of our society found in a secret group of women like this. 
It aches to be embraced. We should deeply mourn its possible loss. Of course Keith is mourning the fact that it's possibly going to be lost. Without this, these women wouldn't want anything to do with Keith. At least not in a sexual manner. According to many DOS members, Keith had envisioned DOS to grow into thousands of members. With DOS's sorority across the country, DOS members were encouraged to recruit people of power and influence to the group. Keith wanted to get members involved in government so they could spread the ideas that he taught and follow that throughout society. Lauren Salzman would go on to testify at the trial that Keith hoped to have DOS in a high-level political office. He also stated that any person who was in DOS in any high-up political office would need to submit a high amount of collateral. As in, if you were a high-up person in politics and you got involved in DOS, a typical little nude wasn't going to cut it. No. You had to make some seriously hardcore fucked up shit. And you know why? So they could blackmail you with it. On June 5th, 2017, Frank Parlato, who was the first to report that there was some sort of secret sorority called DOS, and that the women known as slaves were being branded with Keith's initials using a hot carterizing pen. Then, on October 18, 2017, the New York Times published a story about the slaves and the branding and reported that the slaves were required to provide nude photos or other potentially damaging information about themselves in which that they had to submit in order to join. Basically, this was a complete expose behind DOS. The secret was out. And the shit was about to hit the fan. This is the beginning of what is turning out to be one of the most sensational trials. Keith Rainier is charged with sex trafficking, racketeering, sexual exploitation of children. He used to say the best psychopaths are patient. The scary thing is where would he have gone if he wasn't stopped? Everything we built, everything we created was destroyed. It's a case that's criminalizing choices that adults are making to be happy. And this intent was never about doing anything good for any woman. He was very dear to me and I know he's innocent. It was always about doing what was good for Keith Ranieri. And what Keith Ranieri viewed as good for himself. In the wake of the New York Times article that was insanely damaging to not just Nexium and DOS and Jeunesse and all of the little subgroups that were in Nexium, but also to Keith. This is when he decided, you know what, I need to get the fuck out of here. And he did just that. Keith fled to Mexico. Of course, he didn't go alone. No, no, no. A few members of his inner circle went with him. A search warrant was issued for Keith's email account on January 18th of 2018. An agent of the FBI filed a criminal complaint and an arrest warrant against Keith. This was filed with the U.S. District Court of the Eastern District of New York on February 14th of 2018. Just outside of Puerto Vallarta in Mexico, Keith would be arrested by the Mexican Federal Police. This happened in March of 2018, so they're wasting no time. 
Lauren Salzman would later testify at the trial that Keith and his inner circle of members were preparing for a quote, recommitment ceremony. This was all going down as the authorities arrived to arrest him. Would you like to know what was going to happen in this ceremony? Well, too bad, I'm gonna tell you anyways, cause I had to read about it. The ceremony was to include group oral sex. This was as some sort of way in Keith's mind and in his words to do something special for him. And in order for them to pledge their continued dedication to Keith and all of Nexium. Nothing says you're committed to my views like putting my dick in your mouth. At least that was Keith's stance on things. When the police finally arrived, Lauren and Keith barricaded themselves in the master suite, while Keith attempted to hide in a walk-in closet. Keith was transferred to custody in New York at Metropolitan Detention Center, Brooklyn, after appearing in federal court in Fort Worth, Texas. Keith was also indicted on a variety of charges related to DOS. The charges that were laid upon Keith go as this. Sex trafficking, conspiracy for sex trafficking, and conspiracy to commit forced labor. Don't worry, there's gonna be a lot more charges, but we're not there yet. This indictment alleged that at least one woman was coerced into sex with Keith. It was also alleged in this that Keith would force members to undergo branding rituals alleged by every member that this happened to. A United States attorney by the name of Richard Donahue stated that Keith created a secret society of women with whom he would have sex with and then brand his initials on them. Richard would go on to say he did this all by coercing them. He also used what he asked them for with a threat. He would threaten to release everything, all of that highly personal information and very damaging photos and videos that he demanded be sent. Richard stated that these women did not know what else to do. But Keith knew exactly what he was doing by putting them in this situation. This brings us to Keith's federal trial, which would begin on May 7th of 2019. Prosecution witnesses included Lauren Salzman, filmmaker Mark Vicente, victims whose names were changed for the case. These victims were Sylvia, Daniela, Jay, and Nicole. Along with all of those witnesses, the prosecution also had a cult educator by the name of Rick Allen Ross testify. The defense rested without calling any witnesses. I mean, what, what could they do? Seriously, no one's gonna believe them. And I highly doubt anyone wanted to speak for Keith at this point. On June 19th of 2019, the jury found Keith guilty on all charges after five hours of deliberation. Here is exactly what Keith was found guilty of. Sexual exploitation of a child and possession of child pornography without regard to the minor victim. Sex trafficking of Nicole, attempted sex trafficking of Jay, identity theft against Edgar Bronfman, James LaPerfito, Ashana Chinoa, Mariana, and Pam Caffritz. Trafficking for labor and services of Daniela, forced labor of Nicole, conspiracy to alter records to use in an official proceeding, and sex trafficking conspiracy, forced labor conspiracy, racketeering conspiracy, and wire fraud conspiracy. To say they threw the book at Keith is a understatement. Federal prosecutors asked for life imprisonment, citing that the severity of Keith's crimes and his lack of remorse reflected in communications with supporters in which he degenerated his victims and argued that he would continue to commit crimes if anything was ever released. 
Prosecutors wrote in a sentencing memorandum that Keith concealed his abuse behind the smokescreen of his supposed personal growth programs. It was nothing but a charade for him to continue his wicked ways. On October 27th of 2020, federal judge Nicholas Grafis sentenced Keith to 120 years. You heard that right, 120 in a prison and fined him $1.75 million. Keith began serving his 120-year sentence at the United States Penitentiary in Lewisburg. This is a medium-security penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. On January 20th of 2021, Keith was transferred to a maximum security prison. This is in the United States Penitentiary of Tucson in Tucson, Arizona. His earliest possible release date is June 27th of 2120, when he will be the ripe young age of 160 years old. He, you know, told me that she was a spiritual being that was ageless and timeless. He had apparently convinced her of this as well. Gina Hutchinson was a pensive girl with a burning desire for spiritual guidance and connection. I've had some difficulty lately with a vague malaise, longing, loneliness, questioning. In bed last night, trying to orient myself in some feeling, comfort. She lost her virginity to Keith Ranieri at age 15 or 16, her older sister says. He had told her that she was a bodhisattva, whose soul could be much older than her biological age. Ranieri has not responded to repeated requests from the Times Union for an interview. It occurs to me that my knowing him changed my life pretty profoundly. He had this belief system that he was instilling in these girls that, you know, society was moronic and society was the culprit that brainwashed people against their true natures, you know, and, um, and disempowered women and, you know, Sexual uh, mores were all about keeping women bound and, and, you know, chained to the patriarchal system. He had those kinds of beliefs with regard to everything, including um, the school system. He didn't want Gina to go to school. He wanted Gina to leave school and become his consort. And she did, actually. He convinced her that he would be her mentor. And he, she was bright enough, and she certainly was, that she could get her GED and, and not have to go through the system. The system was the enemy, society, you know, and and that's where I feel he really took her life completely off course. Gina Hutchinson had an on-again, off-again relationship with Ranieri for more than a decade, according to her sister, during which she struggled to come to terms with his relationships with other women. She really couldn't hang with the infidelities, but they were always trying to sucker her back into accepting it. Hutchinson asked her sister to confront one of Ranieri's girlfriends who was pressuring her to stay with him, Heidi Hutchinson said. That girlfriend staunchly defended Ranieri's polyamorous relationships. She, through all sorts of, you know, different psychobabble justifications of you know, how this is actually empowering Gina, empowering the women by, uh, you know, negating their jealousy and their competition against each other. As evidenced in her journal, Hutchinson was still grappling with thoughts concerning Ranieri in her late 20s. Dream of Keith. 
Everyone is there writing recommendations or a report for some agency that is checking his background, Karen, Pam, Kristen, etc. And I have a sheet to fill out, and Keith is extremely nervous about what I might say. Somehow, this report procedure is linked to his goals, money, power, achievement. I decide that I won't reveal negative things about him, but I choose not to say anything at all. Leave it blank so not to perjure myself in the future if I have to state facts. Four years after this journal entry, Hutchinson killed herself outside a Buddhist monastery at age 33. A police report noted she was carrying a Buddha medal in her pocket. Just before, she had written a note to a friend saying, "Never stop believing." Hutchinson never explained the reason for her suicide. One of his beliefs was that you need to realize, to be a realized person, realize that you're already dead. That in this life, you know, you're dead. You're not、um, living until you pass on. And if you're an imperfect being, you might be better off,、um, you know, going to another incarnation. Ultimately, you know, it was her choice,、mm-hmm. and you know, nobody pulled the trigger but her. Yeah, but if if there were emotional triggers, certainly there were. You know, I think some of those were set by some of the events in her life.、Um, I've had people killed、right. because of my beliefs、right. and because of their beliefs.、Right. I wanted you guys to hear that little audio bit there. I told you earlier about Gina Hutchinson, and there are other women in Keith's life that just seem to vanish or pass away under very odd circumstances. In fact, something I didn't share with you guys is there were some women that had been living with Keith that would pass away due to cancer, and they all were diagnosed with cancer. It was just a little odd, really, really odd. Like three women being diagnosed with cancer that live with the same man, just fucking disturbing. But Thankfully, Keith is sitting in prison and will be there for several, several years. Though we will never know if he really had anyone killed or if he himself killed anybody, he will never be released from jail. At, at least not while he's still alive and kicking. At this point, you may be wondering, what about the other people, Harmony? Like, did they see jail time? Yes, yes, they did. Here are their sentences. In June of 2021, Allison Mack was sentenced to three years in prison after she pled guilty. This was followed by Nexium co-founder and president Nancy Salzman. She was sentenced to three and a half years in prison after pleading guilty as well. And for Claire Bronfman's role in Nexium, the heir to the Seagram's fortune, she was sentenced to six years and nine months in prison. So at least we know that the main culprits behind Nexium and DOS and all of its evil, wicked ways got put in jail, have to serve time. Personally, I do believe that everybody should have been served a lot more time than what they got. Although I, I do like Keith's sentence. That 120 years just sounds fantastic. I think the most heartbreaking part about all of this Nexium case, all of this story, is just how many people Keith. Got to take advantage of, and then how many of those people took advantage of? You know, Keith really said it best himself. I'm very devilish, and I, I think I'm probably the worst coach in the world because I, I'm just a demon. 
You know, if I'm coaching you, you know, I'm going to have you do something with your left hand, your right hand, your left foot, your right foot, your head, and then I'm going to ask you to, you know, do the hard thing. So I, I do this. It's, and it's with a twisted sense of, of pleasure in some ways. We do begin with explosive new jailhouse recordings of sex cult leader Keith Ranieri expressing fears he will be killed behind bars. Ranieri, who was sentenced to 120 years for his involvement in Nexium, is currently being held at Brooklyn Metropolitan Detention Center. That is the very same prison where Jeffrey Epstein was found dead. He told various people he would put as much money as necessary, literally hundreds of millions of dollars, to have me put in jail for the rest of my life, to have me killed, to have me destroyed, to have me whatever, the worst thing you can imagine. We're going to go straight to senior reporter Jen Smith in our New York newsroom for more details about Rainieri's claims. And Jen, who is Rainieri speaking to in that recording? So, Thomas, the man you hear Ranieri speaking to is Frank Parlotto. He's an investigative journalist, but he's also a former Nexium member. He's one of the people that actually helped put Ranieri behind bars. Now, Ranieri doesn't name the people he says are after him in the clips, but according to Parlotto, two gangs, the Latin Kings and MS-13, would both like the opportunity to kill him. It's unclear why. Eventually, Ranieri will be moved out of the Brooklyn Metropolitan Detention Center to be put into a maximum security prison. He'll go into general population and he says he's worried about his safety there. These things have to move quickly because if, you know, I get designated soon and then I'll be out of here and that's a dangerous situation for me. Now, Ranieri has already asked a judge to go to a prison where he would receive special protections. A judge has denied those requests. It would be interesting to see if he does end up in the general population and then if those claims are taken seriously by any judge. Keep us posted, Jen. Thank you very much. Our Jen Smith reporting. So as you guys can hear, Keith is not very happy with his sentence and he doesn't think that he needs to be in general population or that he needs to move because someone's gonna hurt him. Oh, poor Keith. Nobody fucking cares, Keith. Shut up. Anyways, to all of you who decided to stick it out during this insanely long episode and incredibly disturbing one at that, thank you for making it here. To the end. You guys, I cannot tell you enough how much I appreciate you every single week. You guys really show up here and listen to what I create for you and that is amazing. I love you all so, 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 so much. Like, so, 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 so much. I can't put that shit into words because y'all are amazing. Before I tell you my goodbyes and bid you adieu, I'd like to share with you some more stuff that I have done here recently. This past weekend, I did a music video where I worked with Kill Devil Films, and as soon as that is released, I'm going to share with you guys that I'd love for you to check it out. In case you didn't know or were unaware, I am an actress and I have been in several music videos up to this point. And I also plan on doing more! The YouTube channel for Hexmix is still currently under its production, and as soon as that is released, I will let you guys know. I also went to Jeep Beach this past weekend and met some more brands, and we may have some new sponsors coming. And that is something I'm, I'm pretty excited about. As usual, as well, if you have anything you'd like to reach out to me about or share a story that you know of that you think would be a great fit for What the Actual F, you can send me an email. Just reach out to whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. 
Send me your cases. Tell me what you think about the ones I've done. If you have any like stories from your hometown, I'd love to know as well. And hey, if you want to tell me I fucking hate your show, cool. All right. I'll listen. Well, I'll read it. But I do want to say there are several of you that every week send me messages telling me just how much you love this podcast. And you know what? Thank you. I love you guys so fucking much. And I really wouldn't be here without you. So what do you say? Meet me here next week? I'll be here with bells on. But I gotta go. So until next time, stay safe, guys. Because I never want to tell a story about you. Okay, well, love you. Bye!